Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. This, um, this morning we're continuing in a series that we started and we've been doing all summer long on how to talk to people with differing views than us. And last week we summarized all the things we talked about so far uh, and our desire to have conversations with people with differing views. And we said those are great conversations to have to talk about whether, you know, the Bible is, is actually true or not, to talk about evolution, to talk about why is there so much suffering, if God exists, all great conversations. But we said one of the best conversations you can have uh, is one where you share your story where you talk to people and say, here's what God has done for me, here's where I was in my life, and here's how my life has changed because of that. And some of you, uh, some people said, well, I'm not, I'm not like you. I can't just go up and start talking to people. And I get that. Some people might think, you know, this is not for me. I can't just go up and start talking to people about stuff. And that might be because some of you are under the misconception that you are shy, and you are not. If you have ever, how many people, let me ask this, how many people have ever um, had a conversation with anyone, anyone, where they said, hey, did you hear what happened last week? And then you shared, here's what happened last week. Yeah, you did that. Uh, or have you ever had a conversation with someone where you said, hey, here's what, here's what just happened to me? Anyone? Yeah, where you just said, hey, something funny, something good, something bad, something tragic. Uh, if you've done that, then you can have the same conversation that says, hey, here's what God did in my life. You know? and, and, and here's some people who think they are shy are not just shy. They're shy when it comes to talking about topics they don't feel comfortable with. But that's not shy. Because for some of you, like here is shy and way up on Mars, riding on the Mars rover is you. Because you're nowhere near shy. You're, you're just not comfortable talking about certain topics, especially ones that you think might make someone else feel uncomfortable. And that's understandable. But each and every one of us, if we've ever said, hey, here's what happened to me last night, or here's what happened to me at the concert, or here's what happened to me at the game, or here's what happened to me as I tripped over this, or whatever, the cat, the dog, whatever, uh, you can say, here's what God did in my life. Same thing, all right? Now, here's the cardinal rule, though. This is the cardinal rule. Don't tell people your story if you're not willing to invite them into your life. I mean, don't sit down and share with someone at work or at school that, hey, here's what God has done in my life if you're not willing to have them be a part of your life. Because here's what can happen. And, and you know, I heard this on the Internet, so that means it's, yeah, uh, th there was a, a, a pastor who was talking with a woman. She came up and she said, hey, pastor, um, let's talk about Marsha. The pastor's like, okay, what's, what's going on with Marsha? And, and, and the woman said, well, I'm having an issue with Marsha. And the pastor's like, Marsha, the one who sings in the praise band? And the woman's like, yes. Marsha, the one who volunteers at the nursing home? Yes. Marsha, the one who helps clean up and who greets people on Sundays? Yes. And he's like, what's the problem with Marsha? And the woman's like, 
I didn't like her when I worked with her, and I don't like her now. And the problem was, the pastor said, aren't you the one that invited her to church? And she's like, yeah. And that's what happens. You'll invite someone to church, you'll share your story, and then you're stuck with them in your church, or, you know, God forbid they get saved, and you're stuck with them for eternity, with someone that you don't like want to spend time with. And whether or not you guys should be arguing, that's a whole other issue. But if you go and spend the time sharing your story with someone, hope and expect that they're going to want to hear more, that they might think, well, I want to know about this God who has changed your life, and then commit their lives to Christ. And then they're going to expect, because, I mean, that's what the church does, that you're going to do life with them, that you're going to interact with them, that you're going to spend time with them. Now, uh, let me show you this. If you have a Bible, open up to the book of Acts chapter 1. Book of Acts chapter 1. In the book of Acts... Uh, after the gasp, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, in the book of Acts, chapter 1, here's what we read. And this is, this is really important. Drop down to verse 6. These are the disciples. Jesus has, the resurrected Jesus has spent time with them. He's talked with them. He's met with them. And then in verse 6, this is what it says. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, let me ask this. Has there ever been a time... When you asked the question and said, hey, God, what are you going to do next? Anyone ever asked that? Like, I, I, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm at this point in my life. What's happening next? Or I've just got over this hurdle. Uh, what are you going to do next? Or I'm at the foot of this hurdle, this mountain, and I can't see how to get over it. God, what are you going to do next? And that's what they asked. They're like, all right, you had this resurrection, but hey, we're expecting that this thing is coming next. And his response to them is, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority or, in today's vernacular, none of your business. And then he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, here's what happens next. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now, they were looking up. They were looking intently up into the skies. He was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, this is this is. This is really important because Jesus has said, hey, here, here's your marching orders. You guys are going to be my witnesses. We're going to talk about what that word means in a minute. But you guys are going to be my witnesses. And so they stand there, and they're like, wow, we're going to be witnesses. You're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to go to Samaria. And then these angels show up and say, guys, what are you doing? You know, you're, why, why are you looking up at Jesus as he left? As if to say, why aren't you getting to work yet? Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever... Uh, parents, or actually, have you ever heard from other parents, because your kids wouldn't do this, your kids are good kids, uh, have you ever left the house and left instructions for your kids, like, hey, I want your room cleaned, or I want the laundry done, or I want the kitchen cleaned, and then you come back, 
and nothing has been done. And everyone turned and looked at the tech team. All right, but that happens. Now, if you're smart, I was going to say wives because wives do that too. You'll say to your husband before you leave, or Christy will say to me, hey, uh, I want, can you bring down the laundry? Can you load the dishwasher and do yada, yada, yada? And I'm like, sure. And then she will come back, and she's like, you're not done? And I'm like, oh, you meant now. In my mind, there's still plenty of time to get to that. In your kid's mind, or your neighbor's kids, because your kids, they're spot on and do it right when you say, there's plenty of time to get to that. But in God's mind, hey, now, get to this now. And it's kind of like the angels show up and say, why are you standing here wasting your time? Jesus is coming back, but you've got work to do. You're supposed to be going out and being witnesses. Now, here's the thing. That word witness, it literally, it is the same. It's the Greek word martis, which we translate into the English word martyr. And if you look, that same word is translated, I think it's like 20 or 30 times into martyr and only three or four times into witness. But it means the same thing in each case. When it's a witness, it's one who testifies legally, ethically, and morally, kind of like with their life as a living witness. And when it's martyr, it's one who gave their life as a testimony. So it's, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, but in, in this case... We know it today as someone who gives their life. That's, that's how we use it. But it seems that what Jesus is saying, hey, I want you guys to be witnesses. I want you guys to be your lives, who you are, how you live your life, outside of these four walls, uh, to be a witness, legally, a law-abiding, just citizen. That's what I want you to be. When other people see you, they shouldn't see you breaking the law. They should see you abiding by the law. He says also historically, because it's not just for this moment, but from the time you commit your life to Christ, God's expectation is that at any point in that life, that people can look and say, hey, yeah, this, this, this guy is living his life for Christ. And whether I agree with him or not, I can't deny what he is doing with his life. And he also says ethically and morally, doing what is right no matter what. And it doesn't mean that we are perfect. But it means if we're doing it legally, if we're doing it historically, if we're doing it ethically and morally, that means when we screw up, which we're going to do, that we're okay to fess up and say, yeah, I got this wrong. Because that's the right thing to do. That's the legal thing to do. I got this wrong. I'm going to try again to get it right. And if you're human, which all of us are, you're going to get some stuff wrong. And God is going to be with you as you try again to get it right. Now, uh, the only problem that the church has today is that we tend to want to be witnesses on Sunday morning and then Sunday afternoon through Saturday night, the wee hours of Saturday night, we want to do whatever we want. We don't want our life to be a witness. We want to live our life the way that we want to. But we don't understand that from Saturday afternoon until the wee hours or Sunday afternoon to the wee hours of Saturday night, people are still looking at us and thinking 
is that guy really living his life as a witness for Jesus Christ? Is that something that I can follow or something that I can say, yeah, that's what, that's what God wants of me and do I want to do that? Now, here's what we want to do. I want to show you some, some, some interesting facts, uh, interesting to me, maybe not so interesting to you, but from the book of Acts because there are people throughout the book of Acts who committed their lives to Christ but it didn't happen mostly because of what was going on inside of these four walls. It happened because they were out doing life with other people, living their lives as a living testimony. Now, um, here's the key thing. I'm going to throw a lot of facts at you, but we're going to look at some verses as well. There are 24 times, 24 times throughout the book of Acts. And if you're not familiar with the book of Acts, it's a letter that Luke, the same one who wrote the Gospel of Luke, wrote to a guy named Theophilus in order to share his story and the story of Christianity with him in hopes that he might commit his life to Christ. Uh, and it's extremely, like, detailed in some places, uh, but 24 times we get to read about either an individual or a group of people or a family or a village or a city, or multiple cities committing their lives to Christ. 24 different times that that's recorded. Now, 21 of those times, uh, they're large families, or they're uh, a, a village, or a city, or a large group of city, or in some cases, and we're going to see that in a minute, where it says uh, large number of men and women and prominent people and businessmen and government leaders or, or religious leaders all committed their lives to Christ. Now, 20 of those times are due to an individual using their spiritual gifts, either serving or preaching or teaching or the gift of evangelism. Now, uh, the gift of evangelism is, is a hard one because it's, you know, it's a biblical term and outside of the biblical context doesn't mean a lot to people. But it's, and I'm going to use Stephen as an example, especially because he helped kind of outline most of this series. Um, if you've ever met Stephen and spent any time with him, um, now most of us have known him for a while. But the first time you met him, and, and think about this, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, what happened was he probably hit you with, three, four, or a dozen different puns. Is anyone can Yeah. And then, at some point, started talking about some way that God has impacted his life. And if you don't know him, and you, you stop and talk to him, he's probably going to hit you with a couple of puns, and then at some point, start talking about how God has impacted his life. And he shared multiple stories with me about when he was traveling and when he was teaching, how he'd either be on a plane or meet someone wherever, and he would eventually work his way into talking about, here's what God has done in my life. And, and, and that's basically what the gift of evangelism is. It's that desire, that spiritual desire that God puts in you to be able to articulate the gospel. That God loves us, that he sent his son to die for us, and that he rose from the dead to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he cares and loves us. Now, of these 20 times, all of the, out of the 24, 20 of them are specifically, specifically because someone used their spiritual gift 
either in a town or in a home or in a city or with an individual one-on-one, and it impacted either the other person or groups of people in such a way that they said, wow, I'm going to commit my life to Christ. Uh, The first one, uh, let me walk through this quickly, is in the book of Acts chapter 6, and some of you guys are familiar with this. It says, in those days... When the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So uh, the number of disciples was already increasing. And if you read the previous chapters, it's because they were doing life outside of the four walls. They were meeting together. Everywhere people looked, all over Jerusalem, they would see these groups of Christians hanging out together, eating together, going to the movies together, going to the Pirates games together, you know, sword fighting, whatever, all together. And they would say, hey, these guys have something that I want. And so they would get to know them and they would start doing life with them and then they would commit their lives to Christ. But then as what happens in the church, because we're human, uh, one group of people said, hey, that group of people is getting treated differently than this group of people. So the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, here's, this is a pretty, um, and I'm not trying to get political, but intense thing. But when it comes to meeting the needs of people, for the early century church, they weren't waiting for the government to do it. They weren't waiting for some uh, nonprofit organization to do it. They weren't waiting for grants uh, from the government to do it. They said, hey, we're the church. We're going to do it. Let's get together and meet the needs of the people. And when the problem arose, the 12 gathered all the disciples together. And it's not that the leaders got together. It's not that they just gathered the praise team together. It's not just they just gathered only certain people that show up on Sundays together. They gathered everyone together and said, we got to fix this. And here's how they said. They said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on table. And some people take that as a negative thing. But that word wait on or serve uh, is where we get our word deacons from. That's literally what deacons do. Here, we call them team leaders because that's what the team leaders do. We expect the team leaders to bring a team together to serve in some ministry capacity. And then after they gathered them together, this is what they said. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Not just reading the Bible, not just teaching, but prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, who would later be killed for his faith. Philip, uh, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And this is where it's interesting. So the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. And it's not because they were just doing life inside the four walls because the priests were of a whole other, uh, those were the, the Hebrew priests who didn't come to the Christian gatherings. So the Hebrew priests had to see them outside of their Christian gathering, doing life together. 
And if the only time that people see like us together, doing life together, doing stuff together is on Sunday morning, as you can see, they're not here, they're not going to see it. But when they see you doing your life other days of the week, interacting with them, spending time with them, then it's going to have an impact on them. In Acts chapter 11, here's what it says. This is another instance. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen, who was stoned for his faith, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to the Jews. And some say this is a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing you should tell to everyone, but you're going to talk to, like we said, Sometimes if you're uncomfortable talking to, you know, the people at work, you may be more comfortable talking to the people at the game. Now, how many people have ever been to a Pirates game or a football game? And you sometimes are sitting next to people you don't know. In front of you are people you don't know. Behind you might be people you don't know. Are they not very talkative and chatty and they'll turn and talk to you? doesn't matter who you are. They'll just greet you because you're all there around a common cause. And uh, when we were at the Pirates game on Faith Night, I took a picture of, I think it was me and Gary. And right behind me were two guys who never saw him before, leaned in for the picture. Three rows back, one person over was another woman who leaned in and smiled for the picture. Never met him before. Probably never see him again. But when you're there around a common bond, it was a good picture, by the way. But when you're there beyond a common bond, then people tend to want to talk and want to share. So this is what happened, but they were only sharing it to the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks also. And God's not going to leave a people group out. There are some of you who, who knit. God's going to send you to other people who knit. There's some of you who coupon. God's going to send you to other people who coupon. And they were telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus, and the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to God because they went outside of the four walls and said, hey, we're going to start doing, you're doing life with just the Jews. I get that. You're doing life with them. You're only telling them. Well, we're going to go do life with these people and tell them. Let me give you another example. Uh, not from scripture, but I do a, uh, a podcast called the Bifrost Bridge Podcast. No, many of you have no idea what this is. And it's basically, and it says, bridging the gap between the geek and the gospel. And it's basically talking about geeky things. And I'm not trying to just promote this because I'm pretty sure none of you are ever going to go listen to this. But it's talking about geeky things and then talking about Christian things so that those people who are geeks you know, who like comic books and who like, and I know most of you, the reason I do it is because most of you aren't going to go talk to geeks about the gospel. You're not going to go hang out with geeks. You're not going to like call up a geek and say, hey, let's hang out unless your Wi-Fi is broken or something and then you need somebody. But I'm going to go hang out at Comic-Con and talk to people and get to know people and I don't mind sharing Jesus with people. I'm going to go do sword fighting laugh if you want to all the way home with people and and then we're going to you know as we're getting to know each other well what are you doing yeah well here's what I do I'm a pastor you're a pastor and you're out here sword fighting with stuffed swords and all this kind of stuff that hurts sometimes but yeah because that's what I like to do and there are people there are things that you guys like to do that other people may not like to do and you're the only one that God is going to be able to use to reach that group of people. For example, I can't go to your workplace and talk to the people that you work with. 
I can't go to your high school and talk to your classmates. I can't go to, you know, TJ Band and talk to the band about how awesome God is and let them see, hey, this is how I live my life for Christ. I can't do all of those, but you guys can go to those places, and because you're doing life there, people can see you're doing life. Now, out of the 24 times also, 19, 19 of the times, and, and this is key because I, I almost don't want to say this because it could be misconstrued, so I have to say it carefully. 19 of the 24 times that Luke records in the early church, and this is over like 20, 30-year period, he's recording all these different events, and it doesn't mean that they're the only events that took place. These are just the ones he records. But 19 of the 24 times, the people that got saved were not people who were, let me put it this way, 19 of the 24 times, it was people who were seeking God. It wasn't people who didn't know God. And we in the church have the mindset, we've got to go to places where there are people who have never heard the name of God, and we've got to proclaim the name of God to them. And sometimes we get rejected, and we go out on the street corners and all this stuff, and people don't want to hear it. But the majority of the times where the church had tremendous growth is because there were people seeking to know God, wanting to know, does God love me? Is God real? How do I worship this creator? I believe there's a creator, but I want to know who he is. And then 19 of these times, either individuals or large cities or families came to know Christ because they were seeking God. And then someone showed up and said, yeah, yeah, there is a God. He is real. Now, 12 of those times were in public venues. Half of the times that Luke records that either individuals or large groups of people came to know Christ, it wasn't in the synagogue. It wasn't in the Sunday celebration. It wasn't in somebody's homes. It was out in a public venue because of something that was done where everyone could see it. Now, uh, let me share this one quickly. The book of Acts chapter 9, as Peter traveled throughout the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. So this guy could not get up out of bed. Uh, he couldn't move. He was, he was very limited in what he could do. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up, and all those who lived in Lydda... I'm probably mispronouncing that, and Sharon, these are two different towns, saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, let me, let me clarify this. Uh, this guy was bedridden, and what would typically happen is if you, you know, were a paralytic or you were uh, handicapped and you had no way to earn a living, you would go and you would beg, and you would have a mat that you would lay out. Now, uh, for anyone who's ever traveled down, you know, 51, as you go to the Liberty Tunnel, uh, go through the Liberty Tunnel, you'll see guys there with signs because they're at a place that's heavily traveled where people, it's easy for people to stop and they'll have signs saying, I can use some help, I need money for this, I need money for that. Same thing. He had a mat that he would take out to places where people were. Peter came across him, healed him, and then this is the last sentence, 30, verse 35 says, now this is the guy he's healed, he's picked up his mat, and apparently he is traveling around through Lida and Sharon, two different towns, and sharing what happened. So either one of two things happen. Either he goes out, 
outside of a church venue and shares, hey, guess what God did for me? Or people who knew him saw him and said, what in the world happened to you? Now, if you imagine, let's say we all commuted every morning down 51 and we saw the same guy that was, you know, uh, laid out by the Liberty Tunnels, need help, homeless, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And we've seen this for eight years over and over. And then one Sunday, we say, hey, let's all meet up at Chick-fil-A and hang out. And this guy is managing the Chick-fil-A. And not only you guys, but also, yeah, they're not open on Sunday. Okay. <laughs> but one Saturday afternoon. But not only you guys, but all the other people from West Mifflin who have to go through the Liberty Tunnel, uh, all the other people from uh, Elizabeth, from Clareton, all of these surrounding people see this guy, and they're like, what happened? You were, you, just last week, you, were, you, were, you had your sign. I got used to seeing your sign. Sometimes I flipped you money. Sometimes I didn't. And, and now you're managing a Chick-fil-A. What happened? And he shares his story with all of these people outside of a Sunday celebration. And we have the mindset that we got to get people into this building. we got to get people into this building. That's the only way that they're going to get saved. But... On 12 different occasions, half of the time when Luke records large amounts of people being saved and even individuals, it's not in the Sunday celebration. It's in somebody's home where they, they gathered with family and friends. Or it's someone who's just going out and traveling around. Now, unfortunately, as far as I can recall, there's not an instance that takes place in a high school, but that doesn't mean it can't. And when we come here on Sunday mornings, it's to celebrate Jesus, but this is not where we do life with Jesus. Out there is where we do life with Jesus, and we do it with other people. Now, I'm going to ask the band to come up and close with this, these, these last ones as we share. Because, out again, out of these 24 different occasions where all these, all these people are getting saved or all of these things that happened, three of these, three of them, only three, are times where one single individual was impacted. And again, this is what Luke records. This doesn't mean this is the only, thi uh, the only three individuals that ever got saved. These are the only three that Luke records. And the first one, some of you may be familiar with, the Ethiopian eunuch who was riding along in his chariot, and he was trying to understand uh, as he was reading the scriptures reading in the book of Isaiah, trying to understand. He's like, this makes no sense to me. And then Philip, who, who, we read, who we read about earlier, Philip, one of the people that was chosen, he goes up to him in obedience to the Holy Spirit, goes up to him and says, hey, what are you reading? And he says, I can't, I can't understand what this, what this means. And so Philip takes the time and says, well, let me spend some time with you. And not only did the guy commit his life to Christ because Philip stopped and explained the scriptures with him, this Bible says that the guy went away rejoicing because he had a new life in Christ. The other time, or the next time, was Paul the Apostle. And we've talked a lot about Paul and many of you guys who have read through the Bible. He was a guy who was an enemy of Christianity and of God wanted nothing to do with him. Then the resurrected Jesus shows up in his life and then blinds him. And the Bible says that Jesus showed up in a guy's house and said, I need you to go lay hands on Paul and heal him. The 
guy's like, no, not me, Lord. I don't, I don't want to do that. He's an enemy of Christianity. And God says, but I'm going to use him. But that starts when you step into his life. And so he went and he laid hands on Paul. And Paul regained his sight, committed his life to Christ, was baptized, and then immediately, the Bible's words, not mine, immediately went out to the same people that he was telling, hey, we got to get down with this Christian thing. He went out to them and started preaching that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Christ. And there are probably people in our life that God is speaking to right now, that God is like talking to them, saying, hey, I want to use you. I want you to come into a relationship with me. And they're not going to budge because God is waiting for us to be that icing on the cake, to step into their lives, to either to explain the scripture or to pray with them or to help clarify, here's what it means. Here's what God wants to do in your life. Because here's what God has done in my life. And the last one, the last one was actually a government official that Paul showed up to. And although Paul did like a miracle, and, and could you imagine if, if one of the congressmen or senators in Harrisburg said, hey, I, w- I want you to come because I want to hear a little bit about your relationship with God. And you show up and a miracle happens. And then they commit their lives to Christ just because you walk through the door. And there are people in our homes, in our schools, in our communities that would love, that are actually seeking, would love to know that there's a God that loves them. But they're not going to get there as long as we stay in here. And the expectation from God is that we're going to go out, we're going to share our stories we're going to be witnesses of how good God has been to us. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and I'm going to close by asking you to do something a little bit different. Last week, we asked you to write down, uh, you know, just tidbits and pieces of of your story so that you get familiar sharing it. This week, I'm not going to ask you to write down, but I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. Just bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you to in your heart and in your mind, ask God to reveal to you right now someone in your circle of influence, either home or school, that you want to commit to doing life with. So God, we ask that you would speak to each and every one of our hearts right now, that you would put on our hearts the name of a person who we are going to commit to doing life with. It doesn't mean we're just going to ask them to come with us to church. But we're going to commit to asking them to be a part of our life. And if they never show up in this building, if they never commit their lives to Christ, we are going to love them anyway. And we're going to let our life be a witness to them of how good and how awesome our God is. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.